0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Kansas City based jazz broadcaster and all around radio host, Dr. Mike Pettengell. For the last 25 years, Dr. Mike has been a professor of English, humanities, and fine arts at the Kansas City Kansas Community College. And for the last 19 years, he has been on the radio, spinning the pure music in all its forms jazz, old timey, world, country, or classical. These days, he is at the great KKFI via KC on 90.1 FM. But in the 90s, he piloted the show called Take 5 that was on KCUR 89.3, the local NPR affiliate. And it was a hugely memorable program at the top of the jazz radio food chain. Most recently, he was awarded the Living Legend Award from the African American Museum in Philadelphia. KC is and will always be lucky to have Dr. Mike on the airwaves and he has plenty of stories to impart to Neon Jazz. Please dig this interview in its entirety, my friends. Let me go ahead and dive in here and just get
1: kind of an idea of what's been going on with you lately.
2: Well, let's see. I've been doing, you know, I'm on the air a lot, but probably people don't hear me a lot because I'm on late nights a lot of the time. So I do a show that's Saturday morning, 1 to 5 a.m., And uh, then I fill in at other late nights, particularly Sunday morning, 1 to 4. I do that quite a bit. And then I share a show every other Wednesday with a guy at KKFI, and we do a classical show called uh, The Classical Challenge that tends to focus on recent classical work for the most part. So I'm keeping busy, although people
1: may not hear me very often on the air. Right on, right on. I know about those early morning hours. I definitely do. Let me ask you about this. Let me go back into the beginning of your lineage. You grew up in Arkansas. What was it yeah. like to what 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 was your childhood like to give you this love of music and jazz and all the genres that you dig and that you spin on the air?
2: Well, that's that's interesting because my parents were not into music at all. Uh they I don't ever remember them even listening to music, but they started me out on accordion when I went to Catholic school and grade school. So I started out on accordion in first grade and then quickly graduated to piano. And um I, you know, I'm one of the nuns once gave me a, <laughs> I took piano from the nuns. One of them gave me a record that was like the life of Beethoven. And I put that thing on. It was really corny, but I just totally fell in love with it. And, from that moment on, I just started branching out. Not only in classical music, I would try to listen to different radio stations and stuff. And I remember hearing, Fats Waller, uh, Fats Waller's song on some station in the middle of the night, and that totally blew my mind. You know, and I'm the kind of guy that if I hear something, I have to acquire or at least listen to everything that person did. So from then on, I was just a Fats Waller fanatic. And a little later, when I'm still small, I saw. Uh, The Benny Goodman story with Steve Allen, which, again, pretty corny stuff. But at that age, it blew my mind. I had to be a clarinet player after that, so I became a clarinet player. And then I made friends with a guy. He was a Louis Armstrong fan, so we shared records. And, uh, you know, uh, in school, of course, your band directors would help you out. I remember one of the band directors giving me a stack of Charlie Parker records at one point. And uh, I took them home over the weekends and listened. And it was all live kind of obscure stuff and didn't sound too good, but I totally fell in love with it. And from there, of course, Miles Davis, and then there you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, on and on. It, it bleeds on out. On and on,
2: yeah, it just goes and goes, man.
1: Yeah, once you get that bug. So when you were a kid, now you're you're a radio host and a professor. What did you want to be when you were a kid, when you grew up?
2: Well, I think the earliest thing I wanted to be at age 10 was a poet because I was reading Edgar Allan Poe, and I thought, oh, this is it, man. This is what I want to be. Of course, you know, then I kind of grew out of that need. Uh, and I thought for a while I would be some kind of musician. I was a music major in college for a while. And then it became clear that I was going to be a band director, and I didn't really want to be a band director, although now that I look back on it, it wouldn't have been so bad. Uh yeah, I probably would have really enjoyed it. But then I went to my second love, which was English, because I like to read. And uh, I took some English classes, found some good professors, and uh, just went that route. But my love of music as a hobby just increased. And so, really, I spend most of my time dealing with music now uh, more than actually English stuff, uh, although I teach a lot of English classes out here.
1: Yeah, yeah. So in the beginning of your life from Arkansas, yeah. you bounce around to Mississippi, Minnesota, mm-hmm. Back to Arkansas, how did that line going dot to dot get to Kansas City?
2: Well, basically, I went to school or I taught at different places, and so I would go basically where the money was, you
1: know <laughs> uh, if
2: they would pay me to go to school there, I would go uh, and When I was at Old Miss, that was pretty important uh, for me because I started working at the Center for Southern Culture as part of a graduate assistantship, and there I got to meet Jim O'Neill. Uh, who's become a really good friend of mine? He knows more about uh, American popular music, particularly the blues, than probably anybody on the earth. And yeah. I was working on this bibliography of the blues for them. And just as a student, my job was to check the references in the library through microfilm or old books or whatever. And so I spent, you know, eight hours a day looking at blues articles. And at the time, I didn't, you know, I knew about as much as the normal person did. I knew Robert Johnson, but I didn't really know anything else. So I spent all day reading about these guys, and then I kind of looked into working on this radio show called Highway 61 with Bill Ferris that went out all over the state on the public radio in Mississippi. And he hired me and a friend of mine. uh, uh this, this friend would end up starting, uh, one of the people that started Fat Possum Records, And we programmed the show each week. So I would read about these guys all week, all the blues players, and then we would program all that music into the show, and Bill would just simply announce, show up and announce the show. And so I got to learn a lot really quickly about that kind of music. And, uh, you know, I'm still teaching it in my classes and uh, still playing it on the air. Right on.
1: Was that your first radio gig?
2: That was the first one, and I I didn't talk at all. I just got it together and programmed it. And from then, I went to uh, Bowling Green, Ohio, and just, they needed people on their college radio station. So I showed up, and they go, okay, you're hired. (laughs) And, uh, you know, sometimes your sub would show up, sometimes he wouldn't, so you might be on two hours, you might be on six hours. And, uh, you know, I had a friend who was into psychedelic 60s stuff, so we did a psychedelic garage band show, and then I was still, you know, learning about jazz at the time. I knew Miles and I knew Coltrane, and I knew some monk, and basically that's all I played. <laughs> I did play that stuff, and people who played with them, I would play their stuff. So I do remember a caller calling me and said, You know, Coltrane's good, but uh, do you know, can you play something else? And, <laughs> you
1: know, <laughs>
2: and, uh, you know uh, Miles, you know, it's kind of like the Beatles. You listen to the Beatles, and then you're opened up to all pretty much all of rock and roll miles was like that for me in terms of learning you know if you investigate things you just learn about really all of modern jazz just through his music and the connections that uh, that go with that and of course i i had that earlier Fatswaller waller connection so i learned all about the early period of jazz so you know um, i was on college radio for a while and then when i went back to i taught for a while in minnesota and then i went back to arkansas and taught at a Community college there in Helena, which was really the hotbed of the of blues, blues history anyway, but really not a lot of people knew about it uh, that lived there. So I got a job uh, working on the uh, FM station, which was basically playing black contemporary music, and um, I did an old blues show there, and it just kind of blew everybody's minds. <laughs> uh, nothing like that had been done on that station, so uh, that was interesting. And then on the white, country am station kffa which is a pretty famous station because sunny boy used to play there sunny boy williamson used to play there during the lunch hour Uh, i had a rockabilly show and so i was doing that for a while and then finally i made it back up to kansas city applied for a job here and it's interesting when i when i did my interview here uh, uh we were just messing around town and we ended up down at the phoenix and jim mayer was playing And I was going, oh, my gosh, it's in the afternoon, and I can hear live music? Because I was so starved for that. I just thought, hey, if they offer me this gig, I'm taking it. And so I did. And I've been here 20 years, 21 years now.
1: Very cool. Well, you know, the one thing that a lot of listeners in Kansas City will remember, I know I do very clearly, is your Take 5 show on KCUR. And that was a beautiful Learning experience for me, I I tuned in all the time. So my question to you about that show is, how long did it last? How did it come about? Kind of talk to me about the show Uh and and kind of how you approached it.
2: Well, you know, Robert Moore started that show, and I got to know him because he was one of the head guys at KKFI for a while. And then he moved over to KCUR, and he started that show. And then as he got, I think, more interested in doing the rock and roll show that he does now even. He um, he was looking around for somebody to take his place, and he asked me if I would like to do it, and I said, oh, yeah, getting paid to do radio? Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I did that over there, and I think I was on for almost four years. You know, I can hardly remember how long it was, but it was a lot of fun. I had a blast doing it because I was on consecutive nights, you know, and that's just great when you can get a gig like that that you can do one thing after another, you know, and, uh, you know, basically people get used to tuning in. And so, you know, I had to, uh, I like all kinds of jazz, right? So I like the noisy stuff, the old stuff, the modern stuff. And I had to be a little careful with listeners so I couldn't get too weird. And then if I would get too weird, then I would have to, they would warn me like, oh, look, man, just, you can't play that before 11 (laughs) o'clock. Okay. (laughs) The weirdos, I guess, stay up past 11. But, uh, it was just a, it was a real blast. And, um... You know, when they went classical, uh, I was kind of the low man on the totem pole, so that was replaced by classical music. And uh, I tried for a while to sort of hang around there for that, but uh, they became more interested in piping it in from somewhere, so I moved back to KKFI at that time. So uh, my I was there for about four years, but the KKFI gig I've been doing for, you know, gosh, 17 years or something like that. So
1: yeah. And talk to me a little bit about KKFI. How did that come about? And just kind of talk to me a little bit about the years that you spent there, the philosophy, and kind of how it flows at KKFI.
2: Yeah, well, KKFI is just, it's a, it's a wonderful place, really. I, I can't say enough great things about it. Uh, if you're a listener, you probably don't like everything you hear on that radio station. I don't like everything I hear on the radio station, but it's its an alternative. And particularly in today's market, man, its it's just such a breath of fresh air to hear something that's a little out there, a little offbeat. And if the um, DJs aren't the best, hey, that just makes it better sometimes, you know. So it's a real grassroots organization, and we rely there on just uh, listener uh, pledges and donations for the most part. But when I moved up to Kansas City, I discovered KKFI, and I thought, oh, well, <clears throat> yeah, I need to get involved here. And I went up and just really looked into it. My, they asked me, had I done radio before? I said, yes, I had. And they go, well, can you start this week? <laughs> so usually it's not that easy, man. But uh, <laughs> uh, And they're pretty open to letting you play whatever you want to play. I did jazz, of course, for many years on a weekly basis, and I had interesting things thrown in, like the dog of the week. I'd bring in a dog from the Humane Society, and we'd talk about the dog, and the dog would run around. And I've been barfed on and urinated on, and just about everything you can imagine by dogs <laughs> during that radio show. And uh, we actually adopted quite a few animals through through doing that, because I'm a big Humane Society fan, do a lot of volunteering there. But I got kind of slightly burned out after, you know, maybe 15 years of doing jazz, I thought, well, well there's other things that need to be played on the radio, and uh, I'm interested in those things, too, as well as jazz. And sometimes I thought, I'm kind of playing jazz for jazz players, you know, because yeah. they're so specialized, and I and I love it so much that I became very specialized, and I wanted to broaden out a little bit, and so I was able to do that with these overnight shows, and then it's kind of changed focus with the classical show, because I'm a big lover of string quartets and things like that. People need to be able to hear that. They just don't hear it enough on the radio. But uh, Tiki, if I gave me that opportunity, really, to concentrate on jazz for all those years, and now I fill in you know I fill in and do stuff on a regular basis for all the other jazz guys, and when I do that, I tend to play earlier jazz because to me, that's just not represented enough on the radio either so yeah. and then it also gave me an opportunity to do these overnight shows, which uh for me is basically a combination. it's like great black music from around the world, so it's soul, funk, blues, jazz, Jamaican and African all mixed up together. And to me, it's just a real blast. It keeps me awake, if you can believe it, all night
1: long. (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. Well, and you've been recognized for it. You just got a Living Legend Award from the African American Museum in Philadelphia. Tell me a little bit about how that came about and how you felt when you got it.
2: Well, through the wonders of the Internet, you know, people can listen (laughs) to us from around the world. And, uh, you know, you can connect to people through Facebook and stuff like that. But I was doing for... I don't know, five years or so, a gospel show, uh, month, Sunday mornings, real early. And it was traditional quartet stuff like the Dixie Hummingbirds, the Swans with Silvertones, the Pilgrim Travelers, all these quartets with these wonderful names, the Soul Stirrers that had Sam Cooke in there. And um, I just, for through a listener here, really, he kind of, told some people in philadelphia that were interested hey you ought to tune into this guy basically and so i gathered some listeners in philadelphia the primary one was a guy is a guy named reverend joe williams who's just a blast i mean he he's been in philadelphia his whole life he has a church in downtown philadelphia and we became pretty good friends so he was a loyal listener or is and uh then i would send him copies of my other shows you know i'd say hey you might dig this so i would send him that and he spread it around up there in Philadelphia and I, he knew a lot of people involved in the African-American museum there. And so they started listening and I thought, Oh, this is great. You know, what, what can we do to recognize this guy who's staying up all night and playing this great music? And I said, Oh, we'll give him an award. And so they give this award out every once in a while. Only a couple of DJs have gotten it in the whole nation. I was really honored uh, to receive it. And, uh, Reverend Joe, man, he's just a just a wonderful human being. He grew up with Lee Morgan, went to the same school as Lee Morgan, was friends with Lee Morgan, knew all the jazz players in Philadelphia and in that area. So cool. he's a blast, and, you know, it was just fantastic uh, to to get to know him, and then for him to uh, get with the African-American Museum people and offer me this award, you know, it was, it was good.
1: Yeah, that's a great story, for sure. So... Let's kind of dig into the marrow of jazz here, and let me get an idea. You've mentioned some names. Who would you consider your jazz heroes?
2: Well, if I had to pick, um, like, some jazz recordings that I simply could not live without, uh, one would be Miles' uh, Live at the Blackhawk collection because Hank Mobley's on there, and I'm just a huge Hank Mobley fan, and they play so well, and it's just such a fantastic... I remember, you know... The, the recordings that have an impact on you, you tend to remember when you first heard them. And I remember it was snowing, and I was listening to that. Somebody had made me a cassette of it, a part of it. And I thought, oh, this is just... I Really, at that time, I really hadn't heard anything quite like it. Uh, and so I'm totally in love with that recording and still love it to this day. There are others, you know, like um, um, Phineas Newborn Jr., or as he would call himself, fine As Newborn Jr., is... <laughs> his version of Lush Life from an album called A World of Piano, in which he starts out quoting Ravel, is, uh, you know, just changed my world when I heard that. Red Garland, uh, of course, played with Miles, but his own trio version of A Foggy Day uh, is fantastic. And as, before you called, I was just kind of thinking of things that over the years that i really loved, and I continue to play on the radio a lot. Kirby Nichols is another one that, Kind of an unknown piano player that was really fantastic, and and he has a tune called Love Gloom Cash Love that uh, is really fantastic. That actually I was just listening to. It's a waltz. I tend to be a little bit, uh, you know, I love jazz waltzes, so I'm a little, um, I'm easy when when it comes to those kind of things, and pretty much anything from Coltrane, of course. (laughs)
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh,
2: you know, and Lou Donaldson and Grant Green and uh all the great guitar players uh of the past. I tried to play jazz guitar for a while, now I've kind of switched over to mandolin, but um uh I do like, you know, in terms of what's happening now, I don't listen to a lot of straight ahead new jazz music for a number of reasons. Uh, I don't like the way it's recorded really. It's just too slick to yeah. my ears. I love the sound of the old Blue Notes and Prestige and Riverside. And speaking of Riverside, uh, The Sound of Sunny by Sonny Rollins, one of the all-time great records of all time. I just ordered and received, I've been listening this week, to Sonny Rollins um, live at the Village Gate. It's a new box set with Don Cherry. And they get a little out there. They're not really avant-garde, but they're on the fringe. And, man, this is some of the best music I've heard in years. So I would recommend it to you to pick up and listen to. But in terms of new music, you know, I like uh, the avant-garde or the noisy guys or the just true uh, improvisation people. There's a saxophone player named Evo Perelman that I really like a lot, a guitar player named Joe Morris, Whit Dickey is a drummer, Michael Bizio is a bass player. And these guys, I believe, they kind of hang out in New York and they record for small labels like the Simp Label, Creative Improvised Music Project. And that's kind of like today's Blue Note label, in my mind, anyway. And they're doing, although they're, you know, you could say that the same problem that's happening with jazz, modern jazz, is happening with the avant garde jazz that has all been done. But to me, that they're still experimenting and they're pushing the envelope and they're trying new things. And I really enjoy that. Um, yeah. So I. I couldn't play a lot of that during the the day hours, even at KKFI, but on my late-night show, I can really get into some noisy stuff, which I appreciate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you this. You mentioned the importance of kind of the earlier jazz years that doesn't get enough exposure. What would you personally consider your favorite idiom, so to speak, post, bop? What what, what do you think you said?
2: Well, boy, that's a tough one, you know, because it depends on the week, really. Uh, And I have a good representation in my collection of all those years, right? And uh, so I could just, I would just say that, uh, again, Fats Waller, anything by Fats Waller, just I've loved it almost my entire life. And uh, there are parts of Louis Armstrong that uh, I really love. There's 1934 recordings of, uh, there's a bunch of them, but I'm in the mood for love and uh, Treasure Island and, It goes on and on. Um, Benny Goodman was just such a huge influence on me, too. Uh, So it's hard for me to say, oh, I just like this kind of music. I mean, I could do a show of that kind of music for five years and not get tired of it, but then I would have to change. Uh, So if I had to pick one, okay, I'm on an island. I can only pick one type of jazz. It would probably be uh, the 50s, you know, 1957. I would listen to that year over and over again you know, because yes. it was such a great year for jazz, Thelonious Monk, and you can't really get tired of Thelonious Monk, or Coltrane no. or Miles no. from that
1: that period. No, that was a magnanimous period.
2: There are some vocalists I like, too, but, you know, I'm not that much into vocal jazz, but there are, you know, Johnny Hartman's Lush Life uh, is, of course, a, a great uh, record, and interesting, I, I remember playing that at KCUR on the Take 5 show, and so Usually I was the only one there in the whole building. And I would just crank that stuff up. You know, and had the <laughs> microphone there. So <laughs> especially on something like Lush Life," if you know all the words, you're singing along, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just belting it out with my eyes closed, right. And suddenly I open my eyes and there's a workman who would come in to do something standing right in front of me, looking at me like I was crazy. I go, oh, okay, well, it's a nice song, man. (laughs) I wasn't going out over the air at that time, although I have sung on
1: the air with not knowing it, you know. That's awesome. So my next question is kind of formulated from being down on 18 and Vine. I went to the Blue Room at one point back in the mid-'90s, and I remember there was an older gentleman that was outside. I was smoking at the time with him, and He mentioned something about Miles brazen through town. It just shook its head. It's like, man, I'd love to see that again. And I always ask everybody, if you could jump into that DeLorean time machine and punch the coordinates in and go back in time and see a show and see it at a certain place, where would you go?
2: Well, you know, um, a a recording that I play a lot late night is uh, the only version of live of A Love Supreme. They only did it once live. And it was in France at some jazz festival there, early, mid-60s, early to mid-60s. And I would say I might I might choose that if I could go. And, of course, I was alive then, but there only like three. But yeah. uh, uh, I might choose that and witness that because the live version of A Love Supreme is just so much wilder and more intense than the recorded version. And the crowd really didn't know what to think of it at the time. But they yeah. were just burning through that piece. And I would say, okay, maybe that, uh, if not that, then I would probably have to go back to Fats Waller and want to go to some club and hang out with him because he must have been really fun to party with.
1: <laughs> you just answer another question. That was what I was going to ask. If you could sit down with somebody and have a drink and just talk, yeah. would it be Fats?
2: Um, I don't know. I might drink with Fats because he <laughs> was probably easy to drink with. Uh, in terms of talking, I might choose somebody like Bill Evans uh, because you know he was a guy that it could really, I think, articulate what he was doing and why he was doing it. And I think a lot of jazz players, at least from that period, weren't really into that. They, you know, somebody like Miles, he didn't want to say anything about the music. So Bill Evans, and I've seen him do this on YouTube too. You know, uh, it would be a wonderful guy to kind of pick his brain and actually figure out. What's he doing, and how is he doing it, and why is it different? Why does it sound different? You know, uh, so I'd probably choose something along those lines.
1: Yeah, let me ask you this: it's a simple question, sure. but it has some punch. Why do you love jazz?
2: Well, you know, I have friends who hate jazz, and they say yeah. there's just no rules. And I go, well, you're absolutely wrong. I've tried to play jazz, and there's a ton of rules,
1: yeah.
2: but you have to learn them, and then you have to know when to bend them and break them, and all that. So for me. Number one, it's a truly American music, and as I got my PhD in American studies, so I'm into that. And it also uh, affords you the opportunity to experience something that is structured, and then has its moment when it's not structured, but purely based on uh, creativity and improvisation. So, and I think there's a, everything that's interesting in terms of music can be found in you know, a small group session from 1957. It's just there. Uh, and all you got to do is spend some time and try to listen to it closely. You don't have to make your head hurt listening to it. You just listen to it and give it time, and it will have an effect on you. So I think that's, that's probably why. It's not like pop music where you, the second time you know everything about it and you're bored yeah. with it. But mm-hmm. I can go back and listen to recordings I've heard hundreds of times and still just be amazed by them so I think that's yeah. probably why
1: yeah so being in one of probably the, the four to five cradles of jazz in this country the the big bang so to speak happened on 18 of mine is there anything in, in particular about the heyday down there in this town when we were dubbed Paris of the plains that intrigues you that gets your mind going
2: I would like if if we could find another Pendergast we should get him in here
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: because, uh, that must have been wild. Uh, I would have been down there all night long, every night. Who knows what a, would have a, what a happened to me, but I would be totally involved and uh, right in the middle of it. In fact, I'm kind of working on a novel that's based on that time period that has its hero, a jazz guitar player. But uh, I would just be so into it and in, and just soaking it all up because like my late night shows, I think it kind of brings in a lot of different genres. We're mixed up down there together. So you had Joe Turner, you had boogie-woogie piano playing, you had the, the beginnings of rock and roll going on, you had swing, you had, you know, maybe some bebop gesticulating down there. And so it was all going on. And I think that, uh, to be able to experience that is fantastic. And we should celebrate it even more than we do, you know, uh, there's no reason why we can't have a whole bunch of jazz bars and uh, just just really celebrating the history of Kansas City music because that's what it's all about. That's why Kansas, people know Kansas City. It's yeah. because of that music.
1: Originally, with this question, too, I wanted to piggyback. What do you think about what's going on today? There's kind of a murmur that there's a renaissance with Watson down at UMKC. and Just the general fervor mm-hmm. of new clubs and blood. What do you think about what's going on right now?
2: Well, I think... Uh, You know, progress in that direction is kind of slow, but people are trying uh, to get it together. I really wish that um, the Power and Light would have been jazz-themed and they would have had live music playing. I mean, that was a golden opportunity that I think maybe we missed out on. There are new jazz clubs that that occasionally open, and I go and enjoy them. And uh, as long as there are places for people to play and people really support them, I think we're good. The problem is, is that, in this country anyway, If you're an artist, particularly if you're a jazz player, you're really up against it. And so you're not making very much money. You're a master. You know how long it takes to learn? You probably know, but your listeners might not. I mean, to master an instrument, talk to anybody who's really good on their instrument, and they'll say, well, I've been practicing and trying for 25, 30 years. And so that kind of artistry, I think, is not rewarded enough in this country. If I had my way and I was in charge of things, they would get a stipend. They would have a house, a car, and enough money to live, and then they could concentrate on their art. Um, I think that's that's the right way to go. But uh, in terms of what's happening now, we just have to get out and support uh, these people that are playing, and that means searching them out and finding the finding the venue, and going and and you know and clapping at the end of the tune and putting a some tip in their tip jar. You know. Yeah. Um so if we could be better but uh I think we're we're trying and people seem to care you know the the idea of the radio station down at 18th and Vine or the the foundation that sounds great and I would like to get involved in that and we'll see how that goes and uh, so nothing good nothing but good can come from that
1: yeah absolutely so as a seasoned man of the Kansas City world what would you say is the greatest thing about Kansas City
2: uh, the parking <laughs> you can find a parking space. that's very good, but uh you know to me, and I've been here so long, and the reason why I stay is one I love my job, and the other is that uh there's there's enough things here to keep you interested If you're bored, you can go out and you can find something that is interesting, particularly in terms of music. so, if I wanted to hear live jazz, I could do that every night of the week. you know, I just have to know where to go and um And the people here are very open, and there are opportunities here. So, you know, we've got KKFI. That right there is enough to love Kansas City because it is a little gem. And for your listeners now, if you're thinking, man, I might want to get into radio or at least want to volunteer somewhere that's cool, KKFI is a good place to do that. So that and the the general atmosphere of the place, it still keeps me uh, interested and happy after all these years.
1: Right on. Were there any radio hosts? that you listened to growing up that you considered role models for you
2: well you know not not too much uh i in arkansas boy we were sort of poor on on radio although out of i think memphis i was able to pick up that radio station where i first heard some Fats Waller and he used to play old jazz i think it was late sunday night and i would actually had my old tape recorder that you'd have to push down the buttons on and i would write Headphones around the microphone and tape the shows, so then I could listen to it later and you know get to know what he was talking about. Duke Ellington and you know all, uh, Count Basie and Benny Goodman, all those guys he played. And I don't remember his name. I don't remember the show. I wish I did. You know, I would yeah. try to get in touch with this guy and say thanks because that helped. Yeah. Um, really, I think um, you know if, if you're if you're young and you're interested in music, just really. Surround yourself. You know, I didn't have YouTube growing up. If I did, I would know six times more stuff than I know already because, man, it's all there. You don't even have to leave the room. It's there. And a lot of times that's good and sometimes maybe it's too easy. I don't know. I try to instill that in my students, you know, but uh, they're a hard sell. (laughs) 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 I try and I'm going to continue to try,
1: you know. That's right. (laughs) That's half the battle, man. So so the one thing that I love that you do on a regular basis on Facebook is you always put up awesome pulp covers. So this is my question to you. If you were the central character of a pulp novel that was involving crime, it was jazz era specific, what would your name be? And would you be a good guy or a bad guy?
2: (laughs) You know, I'd be one of those guys uh, probably – I like the hardball detective uh, formula, and so I would probably be in that sort of genre where I would be a little bit of both, both good and bad. You know, I would be able to navigate through the good, good guys and the bad guys and be able to function in both of those worlds and be tough and get into a lot of fights and yet have a sensitive <laughs> side. <laughs> uh, my name, I don't know. Uh, you know, um, gosh. Gosh. I'd have to think about that a while, but it might be something like, um, uh, you know, maybe something with some symbolic concept to it, like uh, Rome, or Roman Burns, or something like that, so you say, oh, okay, it's it's hooked back into ancient Rome, but it's now, I would definitely be maybe a, a jazz player, 19, 1939 or thereabouts, when Pendergast was being put in jail, and everything was switching over from... Being a wide open town to being somewhat controlled, so then you have the cops who are trying to control stuff, and you know it would be
1: have a lot going on. Oh yeah, that sounds great. It's so, much, it's so much you pen that novel. I
2: know. Well, you know, I'll let you know if, it ever, if I ever finish one, but uh.
1: right. that'll be nice. So let me ask you this: my final question sure. is, you, you're always busy, you're always moving forward. What you got? Any plans? Anything coming up? Or are you just keeping on, keeping on? Well,
2: um, I would like to one day maybe get uh, a show that's on uh, during the day on one of the weekend days. I love the overnight, and it's a lot of freedom. But as you get older, it's tough. It's tough to stay up all night one night yeah. a week. And so I get to bed. You know, I'm up all night Friday, and I get to bed Saturday morning at five thirty, six o'clock, and that, that's it. Takes a toll. But I would also like to maybe get some of those listeners back from Take Five and I could probably do that if I were on during the daytime and on Saturday or whatever. Not that I want to take anybody's show if they're listening, don't get don't get upset. But that would be a dream. And yeah. uh you know, I'm always gosh, there are so much music out there and now I'm listening to swamp blues from southern Louisiana. I'm really into that. And uh it's all been reissued, so I'm investigating that kind of thing, like Slim Harpo, and all the people that try to sound like Slim Harpo, yeah. so there's all that, and I'm into so many genres that there's always something, man. There's always a big pile of music that I haven't heard. I want to get into it, and then, you know, there's playing music on my own, too. I'd like to be a better mandolin player and That's piano cool. player, so.
1: Yeah. It's,
2: you know, if nothing else, you know, everything falls away in life and is taken away from you sooner or later. But your love of something like music that stays and it's always going to be with you. You might lose your loved ones, you might your marriage might fall apart, God forbid. Uh you might lose your job. But if you've got if you've got a love of music, then you've got something that will keep you company. You know, it's like a good dog. It's gonna be there, man. When you come yeah. home it's there.
1: Yeah. Well said. Well said. That's the truth, man. It would be a huge understatement for me to say how much good you filled my brain in those <laughs> years and how how I always, when this started, wanted to get in touch with you and let you know that to interview you. This has been a big honor. I really appreciate you taking some Why,
2: time Well, I'm, I'm so honored that you wanted to do it because, you know, I don't even think of myself as anything, really. I'm just there to play, some, play the tunes, you know. My job is to get the tunes out. And I'm trying to stay out of the way as much as possible as a person, you know, so, shoot, uh, it's it's not me, man. It's just the stuff that I happen to bring in.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and voices in New York, Kansas City, Chicago, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Dr. Mike for his legendary broadcasting prowess in Kansas City and America and giving fans all of that good music like jazz. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Demino on the iTunes Store or visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com for all things neon jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends.
1: Neon Jazz